Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss Chapter 3 in the John Wick series, which is Parabellum, starring, as always, Keanu Reeves. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everyone, and welcome in to episode 192 of Film Tank. Oh my god. I know, we've made it to 192. <laughs> the most sacred number. I was going to say, we've been, like, climbing towards this moment this whole time we finally arrived. Mm. I don't think we're going to make it to another milestone. We'll see. We'll talk about that later on this episode, maybe. What? Ooh. Oh, <laughs> oh get back in the bag, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> that lovely voice you hear is Nick Cheney. Hey! <laughs> He's ruined it. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Sorry! Oh, wow. It's an us reference. Nice. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. That's just how I talk. Sorry. That's just how I talk when I'm aroused. Perfect. That'll be great for um, the listener to know. Yeah, I had a brief stint at the phone sex operator. I could see why it was brief. It's like Rocco's Modern Life. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. That other voice you just heard was <laughs> Tucson Egan. Hi. That's not what I intended my intro to be, but that's what it is now. I was going to say, who, mm-hmm. judging by uh, the way everything's gone before we started recording, he may have some wacky things to say on this episode. Oh, ca- do I? Always a character, that one. Yeah. And also, he may say John Wick's real name at least once or twice. Oh, yeah. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that being said, let's jump right in talking about the third entry in the John Wick series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we previously discussed uh, the first John Wick and John Wick Chapter 2 mm-hmm. on a on a uh, dual episode we did a couple of years ago. Yeah. And uh, now we can talk about the third film. And maybe a couple of years from now we'll talk about the fourth one. Oh, we will. We'll uh, be talking about say, these forever. Uh, so uh, this film surrounds super assassin John Wick, who is on the run after killing a member of the International assassin's high table with a 14 million dollar price tag on his head he is the target of hit men and hit women everywhere wow that was i mean that's technically correct but again it's like imdb oh, it's like you're you're putting the cart before the horse like that's kind of uh whatever reason hearing the phrase hit men and, and hit, hit women, women i feel like the intention there was probably to be inclusive, and yet that just made it seem even more, more insular. Exclu- yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> hit men and hit women. Yeah, there's a couple of hit women there, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Not yeah. hit puppies. <laughs> even though there were dogs. Yeah, could have just... That's you, true. Could have yeah. just went with the we'll gender-neutral form of assassin, or, uh, you know, mm. like wet yeah. workers, or I don't know, anything like that. Well, whatever. 
So this film was directed, as the uh, previous two entries have been, by Chad Staleski, who um, worked in the stunt department for a lot of films, including the Matrix films, uh, also some of the Die Hard films, V for Vendetta, Constantine, uh, even some of the Marvel things earlier on. That's a lot of Wachowski... uh... Influence? Yeah, a lot of Wachowski yeah. like collaborations, like in that way. It's like, yeah, I feel like some of his shot composition could be somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Not that he's the uh, cinematographer. No, but oh. he, even but he's so. the guy who has to sign off on that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, he uh, directed this film again, mm-hmm. and uh, we see Keanu Reeves returning as he's got nothing else really going on. As, you know, he might be part of some reboot of a well-known franchise that might be coming back involved with the Wachowskis. Who knows? I, don't, I really actually don't know but that, what's going on with that. Like, it's really weird. He's dead. How could he be back? I mean, he's sort of like a Christ parallel in that film, so who mm. knows? Yeah. Do you guys know that um, the name, or the word, I guess, Neo is... Uh, an anagram for one? Yeah. Yeah. You did know that. Yeah, I need to know that, yeah. No, I just feel like an idiot. Oh, no. You... I mean, also Agent Smith, definitely the one. <sighs> I'm not gonna. I'm not you gonna, I'm not did gonna, this to yourself. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that today. Okay, we're gonna talk about John Wick. So, all right. Speaking of Uno, number one, uh, Keanu Reeves in here as John Wick again, and we see some of the same faces we've seen in previous films, including Ian McShane, Lawrence Fishburne, and Lance Reddick. Uh, we have some new faces that appear in this f- particular film, including Halle Berry. Also, Mark DeSantis. That's <laughs> not it. <laughs> Good try. <laughs> Valiant effort. Mar- Mark DeQuesos, I believe is how you say it. I don't know. Is that the guy who plays uh, evil George Decay? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's well done, Duzot. Um, the Adjudicator, played by a woman named Asia Kate Dillon. Mm. Oh, yes. That's quite a first name. Yeah. I think it's Asia. Is Asia. it really? Asia. Um, okay. And sh- it, but it every time I literally read that says name, Asia. No, I know. And every time I read that name or. as or, non-binary. Or, yeah. And, um, I, that's okay. That's fair. Um, if, I, if you don't know it going in. Yeah, right. Yeah. What I was going to say, the. Um, uh, Dario Argento's daughter is uh, Asia okay. Argento, but every time I read their names, unfortunately, oh, yes, right, I Asia. cannot not in my head go Asia. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was Asia Argento up to this point until you told me. I was like, oh well. I'm well, only ninety nine percent sure. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I read that if you see that in, as a name, it's Asia. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. But anyways, I will. Yeah, try no to be better in the future. Oh, yeah. Uh, some other people randomly showing up here, including Saeed Takamoy, who uh, was previously in the Wonder Woman film, but plays the elder in that fabulous scene in the desert here uh, in this film. In the... Oh, okay. he's like the leader of the high table, I guess. Yeah, he's, least he's, he's the one who sits above the table. He's claiming to be the leader of the high table or maybe it's kind of like a ras al ghul sort of like situation where he sends an emissary to sort of like sit in in lieu of that also jerome flynn from game of thrones makes an appearance here uh and a couple other random people including jason matsuzukis manzukis pardon me Mm -hmm. and also robin lord taylor who uh 
maybe if there's fans of Gotham out there would know he as he played I did notice that Oswald. he was the Penguin, yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, I noticed in the movie that the Penguin was here, and that was actually pretty adorable. Yeah, uh-huh. and also uh, Angelica Houston here as well, playing John Wick's mother? Faker? No, more of like his uh, his mother, yeah. His yeah, mother figure. figure. <laughs> mother yeah. figure, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I, yeah. There's a lot of mysteriousness happening there that uh, isn't necessarily good. Yeah, it's not really that good. So There's a lot uh, of room in that womb. <laughs> no, I just meant like she's a mother figure to a lot of people. I, I, I guess that's a way of, of sort of rhetorically putting that, but still it's kind of... Uh, I want to be in the womb where it happened. I don't, oh I, don't, I don't know. Nice Hamilton reference. Thank you. Very good. Man, I don't... Actually, you know what? There was a weird... <laughs> moment in this film a word weirder than that moment that Nick just <laughs> did right now I mean uh, you expect uh, it from me Asia Kate Dillon yes I got it right says, I really hope that's how you pronounce it because <laughs> then not only are we all going to look like an idiot her name but, really is Asia I mean I just thought I read that but now I can't no. find any information on it on it's okay, okay. It. it's anyway. okay we'll, we'll, we'll go with Asia and yeah. that'll be fine yeah, yeah. Anyways, she has a line early on in the film where she says something to the tune of, well, not wanting to be in the room where it happened or something like that. And I right. like paused for a second. I was like, what was that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind like, of unfortunate. Uh, the other name I was going to mention uh, is this is kind of just something I would probably notice or any sports fans, but mm-hmm. Boban Marjanovic. That was the uh, big guy at the beginning, yes, right? Yeah. He's a seven foot three yeah. NBA player. Yeah. He's this uh, just really tall, thick guy. Yeah. Um, he got and, his fade run with that fucking book, man. Yeah, he uh, he wasn't terrible here, yeah. so good for him yeah. that he uh, made that appearance. Nick's joke in the theater was, I want to say, that really actually enriched the entire like viewing experience of that. I, I really uh, applaud him for that. Yes, if anyone who is not familiar with myself or my vocation, mm-hmm. uh, I am a librarian. And so naturally, when the fight scene, the first fight scene between him and uh, that dude, uh, I forgot his name already. Boban Marjanovic. Yep. Uh, when it ended with, of course, John Wick just kind of, I would say, death Throwing the him. book at him. Yeah. He basically tried to guillotine him with a book. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, because I've. We've all been there, and I just turned to Tucson, and I said, when the library closes at 9, we close at 9. Yeah, I got a, I got a belly laugh out of me. That was pretty good. Oh, wow. We yeah. had a lot of stragglers. Yeah. <laughs> so I... Got to clean them up. I got to admit, I that was the first time I saw myself in a John Wick movie, because I've been there. <laughs> Man. You so, got to do it with the reference books, so. though. Well... You go to fiction, you may get a romance, Harlequin novel, and, you know, they're a little tiny, and they're not going to... Get the job. If done. anything, you know, it might just break pleasure. But anyway. Yeah. Oh. So Nick, would you like to go first? Oh sure. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I went and saw this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know you went to go see it with us. What are uh, your feelings about it? Well, That's right. I think that was his feelings right there. Yeah. Uh, big fan of the first two movies and lukewarm fan of this one. Mm. It's in no means bad, but it also really doesn't have a reason to exist outside of a few fun moments. Um, 
I, I, I'm continually impressed and thankful that the John Wick franchise has staying power, but this was the first time when I can start to see John Wick fatigue on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And it's too bad because I really thought there was a chance here to, um, have a solid trilogy, which I thought if anybody could do it, it would be John Wick because I didn't, you know, if it's isn't a Disney property or something that I would have ex- yep. expected, yeah, expected to be milked uh, till they're dry. But apparently, we're going to get one of these as long as people go to see it. And on the one hand, I'm happy because this is a still like the other two movies. This is a weird, very violent mainstream blockbuster movie that does say not... another solid hard R that did yeah. well at the box office and with foreign wow. location that and um, that I would say don't pander to the audience and by that I mean like I don't it's... see these locations all that all that often like uh, Constantinople CGI desert I mean Constantinople <laughs> it was just like him walking around that like that was yeah. really cool yeah but I'm talking like it, unlike while it is gorgeously photographed at times these aren't like the vistas of like let's put John Wick at the Bahamas like mm-hmm. you know where it's like oh at least it's good to watch yeah, you I know whatever you. it's not like James Bond yeah no. yeah I, I would actually pretty much that's a perfect comparison yeah. and I like it when they do it in Bond but we don't need another one mm-hmm. um, but. Overall, I thought this was mostly just kind of like when it was good, which I thought the first 30 minutes were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great, and it was like John Wick uh, as ever before. Um, and when it was bad, I just thought it was kind of boring. And I feel like that's the last thing I should be saying. During about, John Wick film. Yeah, uh, especially like the the final big uh, battle. Oh, problems. yeah. Like, exhausting. Exhausting. And... Like, if you showed me any one of those moments and nothing else, like on YouTube, I'd be like, oh, I want to watch that movie. But the way they flowed together just did not quite... Uh, Build towards any sort of, like, satisfaction. No. no. And, in fact, what I liked during that final sequence was all of the uh, interludes in between the fighting. Um, and, like, when John Wick has to go back to the vault to get more firepower, like, those were more... I, I thought, like, funnier and just kind of more lively scenes yeah. than some of the action was by the end of the movie. Mm. Um, overall, I thought all the cameos here were pretty lame. Um, like, Angelica Houston, who's not a bad actress and who doesn't do a bad performance here, but pretty pointless. Um, she's kind of a deus ex machina because she's like a mother, but also she's like a plot device. <laughs> um <laughs> And um, I also thought that the Halle Berry was starting good because I was like, oh, okay. The Halle Berry was starting good. (laughs) I thought her plot line was pretty good. And I did like the fact that she was the reverse of the second film as far as it was one of those blood packs owed to John Wick and Mm -hmm. not the other way. So that was fine. But I actually was kind of disappointed when she did her whole, like, I'm done now that you're in the desert. Not because I don't buy it, but because I just thought that was the least interesting route for her character. Because we're introduced to a backstory and an inner turmoil in her character. Well, she I, has to go back and, like, clean up all the shit that she fucked up in, I guess, like, in, in carrying, I like in carrying left, out her blood pack to John. The way like once she left, like, she was in it. Like, the, Well, I was going to say, I... I will say when she left, I actually didn't mind it because with the way it was left off, I thought she was coming back later. In the film. I guess that's what I thought as well. Right. But now that I've seen the entire thing, yeah. I'm like, that's just a stupid exit for the character who, knowing these John Wick movies, I She's guess we're probably be... never going to... No, I was going to say we're never going to see her again because... Especially after the second unless film going are, into this one. Yeah, unless you are I don't Lawrence know. Fishburne or in the Continental Hotel, 
this movie has a very now that we have three very insular sort of like universe. I was, no, I was going to say it has a very sporadic sense of continuity, which mm. is that people who should come back because it makes perfect sense don't like, in my opinion, Ruby Rose. I know you guys threw out Common out there, which I could say I was fifty fifty on as to whether I thought that was either necessary or realistic. But I mean, Ruby Rose, she walks away from John Wick. Only to, I guess, never come back for his fifteen dollars. She has kind of like a. I'll be seeing you. Well, that I mean, that, literally that, yeah. and also too, she has almost like a, like a villain turn at the end of yeah. John Wick Two, where it seems like she's just becoming somebody like Barbosa becomes in yeah. the Pirates of the Caribbean I series. Think that and, yeah. the John Wick franchise is going to end up becoming like the kung fu shooter action equivalent of like the saw series where these characters are going to pop back up whenever like maybe they're free. May, whenever the fuck they're free and they're like haha here's what i've been doing in the meantime and i'm back to get you john wick or i'm back to help you john wick okay i'm gonna go fuck off again bye that kind of <laughs> shit yeah, yes. that was an interesting voice. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting series. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, before the third movie come out, I would have taken this to be like a Fast and the Furious franchise, where like they introduce somebody, and there's no reason to see... And you they're know, family. To, yep, and there's no reason to see a Tyrese Gibson again, and yet that's obviously what that franchise did, and then doubled down on it. And I feel like it's that commitment to a circle so to speak of people that you can pull from especially when these movies are all about this world that you cannot see and yet that completely exists the world doesn't seem like it does exist if it kind of falls apart every time no one's looking at it uh, you know it just i feel like some of its uh, logic to this world is getting slightly bare bones despite the fact that characters will not stop talking about I will how s- extravagant it, i will it say is. to to your point uh, to me, at least, there are too many players now in this world. I think in the first film, it was a extraordinarily unique concept that there is this other world with its own currency. And a great and tease, because own... it really yeah. didn't explain it. Yeah, no. it, it's, it's more interesting through implication and sort of like well, but soft notes even, than like even hard the, world building. Even in the second film, where people can just jump out of a crowd... Yeah. And start trying to beat up or kill John Wick or whatever. Like, it was perfect because they can just hide in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That literally happened in the third act of this film when he's, like, coming back from uh, his journey to the Elder. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the two assassins in New York who are, like, the two younger assassins who are, like, walking through the uh, the subway tunnel. And they just get, like, knocked out by the... Um, by the, the evil George Takei, like, henchmen. And they get dragged off. And nobody seems to... Seems to be be distressed I mean, at Common the fact and him that there's had a gunfight. In I was going to say, yeah. very, well, that and also Common and him had a very similar moment where John Wick was able to just kind of fade away with the crowd out by I think like it was out by a fountain or something like that at some point yeah. in the yeah. second film. Yeah, I guess my point is that there were way too many people who are in this world throughout the film. Like every single person that he runs into anywhere happens to be looking for him and this idea that everyone's after him now because the money's so high is like there there's too many people for this to be this underground secret yeah i'll say this too i'll say simultaneously it's too many people and yet too little variety in this movie in Mm. the second movie we literally had homeless people a random hot dog vendor uh you know just so many whatever in this movie it is literally only homeless people and asians 
Like, that's about the only thing that gets represented here. And I don't mean that, like, oh, we need more white people. But this seemed way more like, okay, this just seemed like a gang war than a... Like a diversity of occupations and walks of life. Where I felt like they were everywhere, whereas here, maybe they were uh, geographically everywhere. Mm -hmm. But it definitely felt like it'd be pretty easy to spot who's based on the way they were presented in this film. I don't know. This entire universe just feels like it exists in some weird unreality that is dictated by some like childish deities like like a it's like a child's game taken to a deadly extent whereas like you literally have like the ending of john wick 2 where winston is able to make everybody freeze and it's just like red light green light and then you have like the most ludicrous like sort of luda the ludicrous luda chris that's furious part of of the sort of world of or the rules that entail in this world of of john wick john wick uh, chapter three is when john is being chased by evil george takei (laughs) on the motorcycle and he crashes he really doesn't look anything like george takei you know what guess what i'm i'm just that's 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 what it is to me i want to make sure our listeners are confused what do you what do you want me to say is like that's what he looks like to me i'm sorry okay i just wanted Uh, to give another opinion okay um so he crashes into uh the front steps of the continental and he just puts his hand on on the steps because like yeah if you kill me now you're killing me on on continental i touch the flag you can't hit me you can't hit me i actually thought that was good i think that's like Hmm. it it, it reminded me of a fucking children's game that's what that's what it is like that's that's but that to me is in microcosm. That's what they're it, doing it, here. it extends to this entire sort of universe, and I'm just like, this is just kind of. But there, at least, they were twisting a rule we already knew and seeing the extent or limits of that rule. Whereas when they introduced the fact that there's not just a high table, but a person above the high table who, in my opinion, really could not possibly run anything that has to do with anything that's not happening within that little tent. Um... I mean, yes, I understand how syndicates work and whatnot, so I don't mean that literally. But yeah. I call bullshit on the fact that he's just out there, and uh, it just it just makes no fucking sense. Mm, yeah. I mean, I'm willing to to forgive that, given the fact that I'll you know I'll I'll let you finish. No, so up. that was so, my I'll, I'll, final thing. Basically, well, okay. I thought it was okay. I just yeah. didn't like the way it presented new ideas, and I didn't think it varied old ideas enough to justify its existence. That's fair. Um, to to finish uh, a thought that I was going to have. On the idea of there being too many people, or or this world growing and end it uh, being less interesting, the more people fill it. Um, it's funny you brought up uh, the Matrix earlier because this is something that was a terrible part of the second and third Matrix films, where when we had all of these people in the underground group and they were having orgies and shit. Yeah, that was a stupid part. That was really, really well, dumb. And then you have all of the other, you know, people who've survived and there's this whole other world. Are uh, you talking about the exile programs? All of it. Just uh, the, 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 the further it went on, to me, the less interesting it became. I think that there are... I mean, I'm going to have to refute that because I think that, yeah, the underground orgy in Matrix Reloaded is definitely one of the low points, if not the low point, in my opinion, of that entire trilogy. I thought it was just really gratuitous and stupid. And even just thinking about it right now, it just makes me want to go, oh, why did that fucking... Why does that fucking exist? Um, but I'm actually really interested in at least the concept of the explanation of the Merovingian and the per- Persephone and the entire like sort of under realm of, of the exile programs because then it sort of gives some context as to the the associated motivations and, and 
and and sort of roles of characters like Agent Smith and the Oracle. No, and and in that part, I'm I'm for the most part with you on that. Yeah, I guess it just to me when you have these sort of expanded storylines mm-hmm. with with different characters, it sort of wears thin. I I do I do yeah. think that it, it wore thin by the third film. Like it's, uh, well, it's... especially in that final battle in the third film, I'm. Just remember thinking the first time and the last time I watched yeah, it. What the fuck? Well, it just it just you know you start off in the entire first film where the characters are so insulated off from mm-hmm. anything else, right? And I know they're just trying to escape in the ship and get back to wherever they're trying to go, right? But at the same time, the fact that there are just millions of people that are just all over the place <laughs> and they all have all this advanced weaponry and shit, mm-hmm. it's just like. Okay, yeah. like this feels like a different. It's really, movie. it's really stretching the the plausibility of this entire premise. Anyways, anyway, um, go right back, ahead. Back to yes. to John Wick. I feel like it's only natural that we talk about the Matrix trilogy as it relates to this because I feel like this is definitely a film. Given what you've you've mentioned before, Alex, about how this director has worked as a fight choreographer and like stunt like person for um, the Matrix trilogy and has worked with Keanu Reeves. Like it, this very much feels like a it's an entire series really that owes to that of, of Keanu Reeves precedent as an action star. And the matrix is what made him into an action star pretty much. I mean, there's speed and other shit like that, but like nobody nowadays remembers what the number speed speed's a speed's good, great speed's a great movie. Nobody none of these kids nowadays fucking remember it. Don't say well, why it. would kids remember something they weren't alive for? Exactly. Right. They're not like, no, I, I'm saying like, why would they everybody the does? I, I feel, remember I feel like respective to like the matrix, which one do you think has a larger cultural footprint? The Matrix, I think, has a larger okay. cultural footprint. Even if you haven't but, seen it, like, okay, but, I'm not trying to but, tangentialize no, 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 too far no, no, away from this. No, no. From my but initial... I, I will just say that Keanu Reeves was probably at a better part of his career. Oh, he was. He definitely was. But, in speed than he was at the end of the Matrix. But I'm more talking about like those films as a whole. They have a greater cultural footprint in sort of the the canon of cyberpunk and how cyberpunk is sort of. In vogue again, at least. Like you say that, like the mainstream would even know what cyberpunk is, though. Like they're gonna. I get that people know what bullet time is. Yeah, and and I know kung fu or whatever. But the idea that people would be able to trace, and I say the average Joe, you're right. What the Matrix is is, in my opinion, I feel like they'd be able to see speed in their current releases more than they would the major especially with the Wachowskis unfortunately bombing at every box office recently I mean I'm I'm really just gonna have to disagree with that because I just feel like they, they haven't bombed no I'm not I'm not <laughs> disagreeing with that I'm saying that I think Jupiter? that the Jeez, matrix that has dude. a larger cultural footprint and is more recognizable than speed for the well, fact that of how many okay yes yes Obviously, just that's based what, that's, on that's my numbers. Point. Yeah, that's what I'm just then saying. Yes, you are stating a fact. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I I'm sorry to bury this this no. in in the introduction of my feelings about John Wick three because that's the film that we're actually talking about right now. Um, this film is I'm gonna have to echo a lot of the sentiments that Nick has brought to this. I this didn't really do much for me. I actually fell asleep in a couple of like key scenes for this film, which is the reason why I went to go see it again, but I was able to sort of piece it together. I and you did. I did not think having even seen those those scenes, which were not even action scenes or really like heavy extra like like expositional scenes. It actually had a lot of the do with the uh the adjudicator, which I actually liked that character, but I just I don't know, it was like it just kind of bored me to tears, like even watching it a second time. Um yeah, I feel like this 
this franchise is becoming a bit threadbare for me. I think that these scenarios are becoming ever more convoluted and nonsensical and not even in like a entirely entertaining way. Like there are parts like I can look back at individual set pieces and fights that happen. Like I, I like the, I like parts of the library fight scene. I like when he uh, knocks the guy's head against the book and just like basically guillotines and like that. I like the, uh, the antique sort of like weapon store when he's throwing the knives and he's doing that. Like that was very, that felt very reminiscent of like a Jackie Chan, like old vintage Jackie Chan film. Underrated actor. Yeah. Un, un, that's one way to put it. Um, uh, I liked uh, the use of the horses in the stable where he's just like, it, it's like a, like a, like a context, like takedown from a video game. And, and that's sort of what I wanted to circle back with this. Like this film feels like, a video game sometimes and a lot of parts of this this franchise feel like a video game where like in the second film where he is where the like, cut scenes are the worst part <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the cut scenes are the worst part that's what this 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 film actually kind of reminded me of. that's why i kind of fell asleep in some of them um but in the scene in uh john wick uh chapter two i remember uh when i saw him basically going through the catacombs of that roman coliseum after he assassinates uh the the main antagonist's like sister because he was like contracted to do that um and him just like do, like reloading while pressing somebody with the uh the shotgun and just like pumping into him I'm just like this is like a particularly violent round like a chaotic round of hitman like it's like you just not giving a fuck and like seeing if you can accomplish the goal and actually just making it to the end through just dumb luck and sheer aggression uh, there was another part in this film during the finale where he is actually like facing off with uh, the high table, like uh, main bad guys, and like going back to uh, the armory where Winston is held up in order to get more weapons. Like that didn't remind me of Hitman. That felt more like a a round base squad shooter, like Left for Dead. Like them just like coming back is like, okay, guys, we got enough points. Now we got to reload shit. We got to wait for the next wave to come in. And like it's it's it's. It feels like a fucking video game, and I think that there's something fun about that, but it didn't really add up to anything that felt like a a holistic, like enjoyable, like film. It it, it just felt like a lot of isolated moments that sort of work on their own, like the dogs in uh like with with Holly Berry's dogs, like actually like being used as as weapons or or, or as like uh, uh, accessories towards like executing people and like just gnawing on people's crotches and shit. I thought that was really hilarious and really cool. Um, but other than that, it just didn't really add up as a whole. There is one thing that I mentioned uh, before we started recording that I noticed upon watching the film again with concern to like um, John Wick meeting the person who sits above the table and the fact that he had to make a contract by actually like severing one of his fingers and like giving the ring to the guy. Um the way Which, that really quick that was so stupid he could have just slipped it right off his finger. That's that's not the point. That's that's not the point, Nick. Um, I know it's stupid, but that's not the point. I'm saying if you would have just put a little butter on it. Um, yeah, I know. Um, so when Halle Berry takes John to basically meet the guy who is responsible, I, I guess, for minting these actual coins, like the actual currency of this underground world. And he's basically going through like the whole shit of like talking about it's like you know it's like where does the name assassin come from? It's like he goes through all these different names, and he mentions the uh, the Hashashin, which were an assassin order um, that is actually 
uh, credited for being maybe like the eldest version of like contract killers, right? And part of their actual legacy, their initiation was actually severing that sort of like ring finger and as a sign of devotion, of like religious devotion. And the only reason why I know that is because that's the basis of the fucking video game Assassin's Creed. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. It's like it's sort of like a like a sort of like implicit nod towards like the history of like like this sort of like cross pollination. I don't know. I thought that was that was cool. I was like, oh, wow, I learned something in a video game. And it actually ended up helping to understand this movie that is like a fucking video game. I will say really quick, the only thing I pretty much agree with everything you said, but the one thing I do slightly disagree with. OK, I do think the first credited contract killer in text would be uh, in the Bible with. God, because um, what well, no, I'm just saying, he smited. I'm talking a, about earthly, anthropomorphic, oh, so like actual believer. paid. Okay, cool. Like, Never mind. We don't need like your opinion. Paid, paid contract killing. Oh, because prayers aren't currency. <laughs> That's not a contract. That's not a contract. Are you there? God is me, Cain. Oh, I don't my. know if you're able, but uh, oh my God. Oh uh, yeah, that's that's great. That's that's really good. Um, yeah, I don't have any more thoughts about this film. It's all right. It's not. It's not great. I'm really middle of the road of it. Um, I like. I like John Wick two more than I like this. So yeah, maybe the fourth one will be okay. <laughs> maybe it'll be diminishing returns, or maybe they'll be like, oh man, that really didn't. Oh, there's another thing. Another video game reference that oh, I wanted to make. Okay. Please. Um, oh, and I also – actually, two more things. Two more notes. Okay. <laughs> You're two, out of control. Two more notes. Okay. Um, so this film also opens with another Buster Keaton like reference where they show like a, a, a montage of all of his films against that giant like uh, billboard in, in, in Times Square. And I think that – That was the second movie. That was also in this one as well. It was in this one? It was also when in this one this? as well. Where was it in this one? Uh, it's when he's in Times Square and it's circling around and it oh. like zooms in on a frame and it shows him on like uh, oh. like grabbing onto a – So now they're just reusing shit. Yeah, they're sort of like just reusing shit, but they're also sort of like leaning into that whole like physical comedy aspect when it comes to their choreography. And I felt that – I felt that was actually I – don't, I don't feel like it is, is prominent as in two when he's going through like the the taxi car bumper like bumper showdown where he's just getting mowed down by these fucking cars that are trying to like beat the shit up i thought that was pretty funny but in this one the physical comedy doesn't really come to the forefront until that final like showdown where he's being thrown through those glass casings like that was that felt like a buster keaton like sort of like vibe um and that entire uh, executive office just ended up looking like the elusive man's observatory from Mass Effect 2. I gotta say really quick, you're starting to make me like this movie less because... I'm sorry, because yeah. Because I didn't notice I mean, the Buster Keaton reference in this film. I noticed it in the second one. Oh, it's in this one. So, uh, right, but now the like it was cute when they were playing coy about like, yeah, John Wick's kind of a silly fellow every once in a while because yeah. there's, but the idea that they're now like, no, we're like Buster Keaton. Now I'm like, okay. Uh, they're like the action movie. I get a Buster that, Keaton. It's like, no, I mean, I get that the Buzzfeed pieces ran with it I after think, your second film. I think they have, but like, at a certain point you either go all in with that. I don't mean like become a silent. Fan. I just meant, right. I would forget that this was a kind of darkly funny movie until it would punctuate its jokes like that uh, 
glass whatever, which I thought that scene was great. Yeah. But I also thought that was a little too little too late right. at that point. It's too little too late. And, anyway. and just like there's not enough of that sort of like adjacent brutality and, and, and physical comedy that yeah. – it, it, it's just it's the exactly like how in this movie they the when she goes to see um Angelica Houston's character mm-hmm. she works at Tarkovsky Theater which like yeah. okay like yeah. I'm sorry but if you're doing something that basically Atomic Blonde did you probably need you, to you aim probably, a little you, higher you probably need to you need to respect yourself you need to love yourself a little bit more and not uh and not anyway. go as low as as Atomic Blonde and at least Atomic Blonde showed the movie without naming the movie whereas here it was yeah. like you know that'd be like have you a, heard of this movie i mean this director who yeah. made this movie yeah that'd be like someone sitting down at spielbergers <laughs> it's just yeah man. also the design of that of that finale where he's like fighting people off in the the continental there's the the one set piece which is basically evocative of the the bathhouse from the first movie which is pretty much defining the entire aesthetic of this of this you know, you rolled your eyes at that when I told you about that. It's like, but it's just, it's, it's. Well, I rolled my eyes because I don't understand why it's the exact same design aesthetic in the hotel. Is it the same location? Which makes no, no it's not sense. the same location. So if and if that's not the case, then why w- did they hire the same architecture? So they could have somebody be like, "Oh man, it's like that one scene from the first movie," just and then they have like the glass, like, um, like maze, like in the. In the second, second film, and I know that that is a trope, and that is continued on in many different different points, and like a lot of other, there's precedent to that in so many other action movies aside from John Wick. But what I what I think is my problem with the finale of this film is that it just feels like a reprise of John Wick greatest hits without actually having any hits of its own. Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also like it was. I was also kind of confounded by its design because, like, there's this commercial that's, like, playing in the background. And I'm just like, is that trying to sell a fucking watch or, like, some destination, like, vacations or some yeah, shit? It like, does what fo- the fuck is going on back there? Focus in on the Rolex name. Are, are they selling, yeah. like, subscriptions to the Continental and all these different locations? Because I'm not seeing that. And I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Okay. All right. I'm done. That's that. Those are my impressions. So, Alex. <laughs> Okay. Is there anything left? Yeah. Uh, so I will say, uh, just as Toussaint alluded to, I I feel like I'm with you guys for the most part on a lot of your thoughts so far. Uh, to go along with what Nick was saying, I thought the first 30 minutes of this film were basically fantastic. The scene in the antique uh, knife and gun store was absolutely phenomenal. Um, the idea of you know having to break the glass to get all these different weapons that they're throwing back and forth at each other. Um, there is a lot of great comedic beats in that specific scene as they're just throwing. He's just throwing knives basically. There, even if there's not people, just assuming that there will be somebody there at the, by the time it gets to that point. Um, and a lot of the knives just not even landing. Just which um, was great because. That particular part of it, I really enjoyed because, you know, there's this mystique of John Wick being this perfect contract killer, but that was a good um, and somewhat unusual humanizing moment. He's tired as fuck, man. Well, there is that, but also, too, like, he doesn't just throw a knife and it goes straight in somebody's (laughs) heart. Like, he's still just a guy, and even, even if he's a... 
absolutely fantastically trained contract killer who can kill in all these different ways. Like, at that point, he's just trying to throw knives at people. I thought that was a great indication of how he became the boogeyman, which is that not because he's precise, but because he's relentless, relentless, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it doesn't matter if he... By the time he'll make a mistake, he'll have already killed you with his second attempt. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the ending of that particular scene was actually... I would say probably the best part, bit of filmmaking in this entire trilogy so far, and that is because um, the idea of the guy coming in with the axe earlier on and nothing happens with it, like he's just swinging it around like Thor trying to swing his hammer and nothing's happening and then the axe is thrown away and there's no mention of it for another couple minutes and then he just randomly picks it up, pulls it over his head in the axe throwing position and throws it over and it lands in that same guy's head to kill him at the very end of the scene as he walks off the set. I mean, that's pretty much filmmaking mastery in my opinion. And I gotta say, when that happened, A, it was amazing and B, I could feel the collective splooging in the pants of (laughs) every owner who... It wants to capitalize on this new millennial trend of opening up axe-throwing stores. <laughs> Seriously. Like, that's going to be playing just on yeah. a TV now in those axe-throwing stores. We have one in St. Charles, Illinois. Not yeah. to give where I live, but... Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> they're, 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 those are, they're, yeah. They've become almost as popular as vape shops. Yeah. Uh, they're they're everywhere. Can you wait? Can you, I can't wait for the fucking scenario where John Wick kills somebody in a vape shop. I can't wait for John Wick to to have like a, I think a, we're a closer a, rather than further a, a cross promotional like location where he just has to kill somebody in a in a fucking Hardee's. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe you go even further. Have it be a Carl's Jr. Be a fucking Long John Silver. Oh boy, good luck finding one. <laughs> so that particular scene. And the uh, scene involving the horses, I mean, from the trailer, that is probably the scene that got most people, uh, including myself, excited for this film. Just because the idea of John Wick riding down a street in New York on a horse trying to fight off people on a motorcycle was just so uh, interesting and unique. Um, the, the problem was, is I feel like this film blew its load in the first 30 minutes. Like, all of its... Yeah. All of its interesting moments it had it just got out of the way early which is like fucking awful filmmaking uh but at the same time it then gets bogged down by the continuation of this story um the every everything involving the adjudicator from probably the first scene she was in or maybe the second scene on was just so tiresome uh, I, I would have, I'm fifty fifty on that. I'll elaborate more, but I'm I'm not completely I don't think against it as you two are, which but I also understand why it's also not great. Um I, I think the biggest reason is because I don't think that the actress is necessarily giving a bad performance or that the character is uh complete waste. I just feel like with a lot of things in this film, it just feels so repetitive from earlier on. Like she is just a stand in for the guy who's trying to hire him throughout. Like, even though she's a completely different kind of character, like, she's still just somebody who's progressing the plot along throughout the story. And she's she not really to... a character. She's just a, a vessel for yeah, something else. Yeah, I mean, she, like, the story only moves on because she goes to certain places throughout, and it gets very tiresome, mm-hmm. uh, especially by the end of the film. Uh, that final scene, I will say, um, was... Fantastic 
for a couple reasons. Are you talking that, about the Lawrence Fishburne meeting with him? No, so sorry. Uh, okay, the, the, fi- the, the final shootout scene yeah. um, before we get to the knife fights, but when they're having the actual shootout after the Continental is closed, and um, can regular people just fucking stay there, by the way? I've, I've never really gotten this. I think I, it would just uh, be, we're full. Okay. Yeah. I think you need a gold coin to get okay. a room. I, that's how because I think Because I don't know. I, I don't know if, but it's pretty hard to clear out a hotel of people, and that happens. Can you in reserve? Like a can you reserve a spot at the Continental through Expedia? Yeah, if you have plastic gold coins. I, I mean, know. like, but but like when you go through Expedia, like say an assassin goes through Expedia, right? And they have to like they're looking for a discount. They're looking for a discount, right? And they're trying to like you know they're they're, they're trying to reserve a room at the Continental because they're going to be in New York for twenty four hours because they got to do some business shit and then they got to fly out again and it's like and then they got to. Like, how far does this fucking conspiracy go? It, it goes. Like, do, like, do they have a coupon code? They have a coupon code, and they they put gold coin, and then just, like, flips to, like, some night mode version hey, of Expedia, and it was like, welcome, saw, Mr. Wick. Can I let you in a little secret? Then, then, Ever heard of the dark web? Yeah, that's what I thought. All right, that's great. So, uh, the thing I loved about the shootout part portion of that scene uh, as you may have guessed, was the sound of the bullets throughout is, God damn it, that was fucking sexy. Um, everything involving the knife fights afterwards, I was so bored by. Like, I thought the... that was an unfortunate come down of a fight because it should have been something that was like, obviously the crown jewel of the movie, but... Mm-hmm. If that fight had happened in the middle of the movie, I probably wouldn't have even thought that bad of it. Mm. But as a rising action to its climax, that I'm with you in that that final fight. It with, dragged. Yeah. It, 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 and it uh, also seemed like, no offense, but there was, in most scenes with John Wick, I get that Keanu Reeves can pull off, that he's better. But I'm sorry, in those scenes, it really does seem like that actor has to pull punches. Like, yeah. I just, I don't buy that. That guy yeah. can't kick John Wick's ass. Well, especially uh, after what John Wick has been through, and I don't mean for these movies to be realistic, but if he's making all these kind of mistakes throughout the movie, how is he able to really pull it together? I, I don't know, it's just one of those oh, things. I I actually thought the final fight part of the fight scene was okay, um, and the kind of comedic ending to that I actually kind of thought was kind of funny. But at the same time, just the entirety of that scene with the two other, you know guys yeah. the one guy from the raid yeah. and um that just was just i don't know just exhausting to me i'm with you uh which is unfortunate because it's the climax of the film the one scene i will say that i feel like is a microcosm of this film is actually the uh shootout scene that involves halle berry and uh keanu reeves i actually thought the scene when they were discussing halle berry having to help john wick because she gave him that uh, blood, blood pack yeah, yeah. Um, to save her daughter um, marker yeah that whole scene I thought was absolutely fantastic just because of the discussion back and forth of him saying do you want me to tell you where she is and her not wanting to fucking I know. thought for a moment he was going to say it was this will be explained in a spin-off comic book it was what it was going to be uh, Ruby Rose's character because I'm, we don't know who the father would be, so I'm just saying I thought Ruby Rose with the short hair and whatnot looked okay. enough like Halle Berry that maybe cool. even if she wasn't going to show up, that's how they were going to tie it together. Oh, okay. Only because he made a point to say it. Now Could I know still why. Be, I guess true, but, yeah. but anyway, 
anyways, that that final part of that dialogue-driven scene where Halle Berry just says, and now I'm fucked. Uh, just with the way she said it and the the way the whole scene progressed, I was like super pumped for everything involving what, what was going to be afterwards, knowing that the dogs were going to be involved because of everything in the trailer. Um, and that scene felt so poorly choreographed to me, only because everything with the dogs was just, we have to stop everything that's happening do an edit to them running out from exactly two spots where they go running towards it. And since it happened like seven or eight times, it just was a couple beats too long. Like if they use the dogs at the very beginning of that scene, and then they're just like, you can like see them off in the distance, roughing up some tufts or whatever. And then they come back for some great part of the finale. Like it would have been like the X part of the opening scene. Like it would have been fucking awesome, but it just, it felt just too too um I, I don't know what the best term is but but it just monotonous it, well, kind of over and over I, I don't well that 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 is a good way to put it but it just felt too too highly choreographed oh, it, okay. it didn't feel yeah. like people moving around it was just we have to go by the stairs because i have to call the dog that's waiting up to run down and it's just like okay well some of it was great it just, it just i felt like it was a microcosm of the film where it just was too much too perfectly set up and it just wasn't enough unique fighting and unique storytelling as we had in, in the first two. Yeah. Um, I will say, just uh, piggybacking on the dog comment, um, I got to admit I'm with you. And not only that, but I got way more joy watching the dog jump through taxi windows than I did um, grabbing crotches because that just got old really quick. But every time they jump in through a window, I was like, oh, good. Good boys. Such good boys. Good boys. Yeah, and I um, I have to say, I was uh, not disappointed necessarily, but um, after everything at the end of the very first film, I thought like the decision to sideline John Wick's dog was, I guess, necessary, I but at the same get time... why we keep not having dogs be a part... I mean, I know Halle Berry's dogs get to be yeah. a part of this, but that's where it all started. So, I mean, it's I'm just... I don't know. It's not even John Wick's dog at this point. That is the concierge's dog. I guess. Because, like, I I, I thought it was, I, it made sense because he was, like, leaving the country, I guess. But at the same time, like, him being in the cab at the very beginning be like, take him to the Continental. I'm like, they're sidelining the dog. Yeah. What the fuck? I agree. And uh, it just, it just was, uh, although I will say that was one comedic beat that I actually thought was really like kind of like obvious but at the same time i actually thought it was pretty funny when her dog it saw and he's like i know you feel i don't know i just thought that was great yeah so yeah. yeah overall uh i think this is entertaining and pretty fun for the most part throughout there are some some parts that feel a little draggy but um a decent film but it's headed in the wrong direction that they need to end this story this continental everything with the high table like i know that it's part of this universe but this skywalker story needs to go away and we need to go in a different direction if we're going to keep fucking making these no it's just it's just a it's a really threadbare mythology that is becoming even more bare with every single installment like you you think that the continental is just oh it happens to be oh it's this 
hotel where assassins happen to uh, to congregate and they basically do business but they don't do business you know what I mean they just that's their hangout spot that's their underworld sort of like vibe and then you realize like oh wow it turns out the Continental is not just a a one-off hotel but it's a brand that exists in all these different situations this is where all of the the this is the hot spot for all of the the, the savvy um, go to uh, assassins, you would think and they all that the pay. authorities would have caught on to this at some. Point. Oh, but I think the authorities do know. I think you don't realize how deep this thing goes. We to live. Be fair, the first movie does clarify that. To quote, you to, working, John? Yep. Yeah. Uh, all to, right. To quote, to quote a a, a trailer from uh, the 2017 Hitman. We live in a world of assassination. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. I mean, that's that's pretty much it's, as corny as that sounds. Like that's the same sort of vibe and same sort of like explanation that John Wick is trying to like tell us. Like it's just yeah. more blunt and on the nose. Yeah. Anyone got anything else? Nope. I actually do think we've pretty much. Covered I was going to say. I think yeah. we can go to everything. Final. We'll see you next next year when we do do John Wick 2021. Yeah, yeah John. They're not going to rush these. John Wick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're going to take their time. So I'll, I'll go first just to wrap up what I was just talking about. But I um, I think overall this is a not terrible film. And I would definitely watch this again. I'd definitely buy it on Blu-ray. I'd, I'd watch it if I was in the mood of watching the other two. Like I feel like this is definitely in the neighborhood of Return of the Jedi if we're comparing it to the first two Star Wars films. If it was you know comparing the kind of trilogy this is. The problem, though, is that... It doesn't fucking end. No. And... It doesn't necessarily have to, but this story should have reached a conclusion in this film. And instead, it doubles down and actually gives you less answers and more questions, which is really unfortunate. Oh, yeah. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. Do you? What do you? Yeah. I'm sorry. You said, like, oh, it's a film that gives you more questions than answers. And it's just like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I know that feeling. Right, but what are you? Can you give us like a specific? Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sort of referencing Prometheus, and I'm just like, oh, that's frustrating. He's like, yeah, I guess it is frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, sorry. I mean, they I all... do this to myself. I'm sorry. You I mean, do. I mean, I mean, they all die other than <laughs> Nomi Rapasi and Michael Fassbender. That's not what I'm talking about. But okay, it's no, cool. yeah, we'll just... we're oh. not talking about this. It's today. every episode, pretty much. Well, this yeah, point. but not yeah. today. Yeah, not today. Not today, <laughs> Satan. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Overall, I thought this was solid, um, but at the same time, it's going in the wrong in the wrong direction, moving the wrong way, um, and I am now where after John Wick Chapter Two was wanting to not have to wait for the third film, I am kind of dreading the fourth. So, uh, three out of five for me for John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum. Uh, a series that I think has reached its peak. And maybe not. Maybe it'll be like Fast and the Furious. It'll turn around. But I certainly don't think so at this point. So. Yeah, this film is really middle of the road for me. It's uh, it's mid. It doesn't really do much to move the needle. Um, another thing that I remembered is that whole scene with him uh, fighting off uh, the ninja guys like henchmen with the uh, swords and stuff. Yeah, that's just derivative of that one scene from the villainous. I know that Nick takes umbrage of that because you know there's other ways umbrage of like having. Strong. I'm just saying I, the I, idea I, I, that I, the villainous somehow created that. I don't think it created that, but I feel like 
that scene and the way that it is framed and the way and the way that sequence actually flows. Watching it a second time, I'm just like, yeah, this feels like a watered down version of what the villainous did with this exact same sort of like setup. And you know, it's just like just. Just watch The Villainous instead. It's a good movie. Um, I give this a two and a half out of five. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unlike Hallie, I think this movie is not very good. Um, I think this is a three out of five <laughs> film for me. And <laughs> just on giving me a look. And um, I just think that this is, if I'm harsh on it, it's because I'm comparing it to the other two John Wick, not necessarily cinema as a whole. Yeah. I, I think that it could do better, and I think that it might. It's a step down by its own standards. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that it has potential, even if it's, you know, you're always going to have weak outings, so maybe the fourth one could be good. You never know. But the indication so far that we've got three of these, that these two sequels have only been able to end these movies in a way that somehow doubles down on its promise of a larger world and conflict is not a good sign moving forward. And, um, yeah, it's the stunts and action choreography is pretty great when you compare it to most blockbusters and whatnot. Um, but this was slightly blasé for John Wick standards for me. So, uh, yeah, three out of five. Yeah, I, uh... I've got to say, there there was a promise basically made at the end of John Wick Chapter 2 that we're getting this all-out war in and the third film. And the third film. movie literally promises it again. Because we don't get it in right. this film. No, yeah. it's no because there. this film, we're preparing for war. That's, right. That's the name, Parabellum. That's not what they said at the end. They Parabellum. Said, they said he's going to have every single person fucking going after him. Yeah. Which I was expecting, and I didn't get. No, but now he's... And it already felt like that in the second movie. So I don't know how they were going to do it differently, but they definitely didn't. No. Yeah. So any thoughts out there uh, on John Wick Chapter 3, feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Before we uh, call the day on episode 192, we are already making plans for our uh, big 200th episode. 200! Yeah, that we're going to have uh, coming up in... Yeah, Two months, two and a half yeah, months. We'll see somewhere in there. So we've been kicking around a few ideas, and most of these were thought of by Nick. Um, so his big idea was that we would have. Uh, it, it, this started. I, I guess I'll give the whole story. It's morphed. Here. Yes. It, it, it started is this idea that we were going to all pick a year of the Oscars that we wanted to watch all five films. And then we were going to randomly pick one of those years and all get together and watch all five films and then record an episode on it, which sounds great, but also sounds not realistic. My, the germ of the idea and the, yeah. the only through line here is just is that I wanted to marathon some movies against our wills. Yeah. So. So fast forward, we tried to come up with more ideas that would have us make choices on mm -hmm. th on films and could bring our own things we like about movies and movies we like and things we want people to see into it. So it morphed into us just picking three random films each and then randomly picking out one of those films and then we will watch all three and report back on them 
uh, on the day that we do the two and three episode. Yep. So that being said, um, tonight is the night we've decided that we're going to pick what the movies are going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we have time to look forward to that. We uh, don't even know what these final choices are going to be. I know. Because we're using a random generator. Whoa. Bah, 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 bah. I was going to say, we need sound effects. We just do in general. Yes, but this would definitely be a spot for them. Yeah. So, um, who wants to go first? Me? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Go first. Okay. Do it to it. So, <laughs> just... so the three films I've picked, and we set not a lot of criteria for this. No. It was basically try to pick three films that we like. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second criteria was films that you like to talk about. Yeah. And then the third uh, was films that we probably wouldn't necessarily suggest for an episode just... Based on the other two's tastes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like... Yeah. You know, yeah. We so, like them. We'd want to discuss them. Yeah. But here we're doing, I would say, our selfish choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I picked three films um, that I was... A big fan of all three of them, um, and they're three definitely different films. So here are my three choices. Uh, the first being Francis Ford Coppola's The Rainmaker, which oh. I um, think is a fantastic film uh, and definitely has some very interesting uh, actor performances, some great characters in it, and also has a great storyline and is definitely a forgotten uh, Francis Ford Coppola film. Um, this film came out, I believe, in like 98 or 97, 97, pardon me, hey. uh, and stars a very early performance by Matt Damon, uh, but also features Robert, or sorry, not Robert, Danny DeVito, <laughs> uh, Claire Danes, John Voight, uh, and Mickey Rourke, and a couple other people that people have probably seen that are more character actors. Um, but I remember I, my parents took me to see this in the theater when I was 10 years old. And I remember not really knowing much or being that interested in it because it was a long film, especially at the, I mean, it's not that long. It's like two hours and 10 minutes. But when you're a kid, it felt like a really long movie. For a you know, drama. Yeah. Uh, didn't really have any you know idea who the fuck Francis Ford Coppola was. So didn't know why we had to go see this guy's movie. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just remember seeing it, being young and impressionable, and thinking that it was just a really good courtroom drama movie, um, especially since it's Matt Damon playing this like young, early twenties guy um, who is a very interesting character. And I, have you guys, either of you guys, ever seen this or not? No, I have. never. Yeah. Yep. And you were a fan or weren't? It's been a long time. Yeah. So the last time I saw it, I was a fan. And I think fondly of it because I do have a soft spot for kitschy John Grisham adaptations. And I think this is one of them. Yeah. So anyways, that was the first choice. Uh, So the second film that I uh, would be forcing you guys to watch (laughs) um, is the film about the the Black Sox scandal called Eight Men Out. Yeah. With... (laughs) Have you seen this one? Or no, not? I have not. I know about it, but yes, okay. I've never actually sat down to watch it. So the uh, film, if anyone doesn't know the story, is basically about the uh, 1919 World Series and the uh, Chicago White Sox, who basically took a bribe to lose the World Series. Mm, wow. And uh, it was frowned upon. Yeah, uh, I would <laughs> say so. 
But uh, this film features a lot of really, really good actors. John Cusack, who's not necessarily a really good actor, but he's in here. Also, Christopher Lloyd, John Mahoney, Charlie Sheen, David Straham. John Cusack's a good actor sometimes. What was that one movie that he was in where he was like the... He was the proprietor of a record store. High Fidelity. Yeah, it's a good yeah. movie. We watched a film last year that he was really good in. Um, Identity? Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Wow. So anyways, uh, this I was love that movie. another I film that I watched somewhat frequently growing up uh, that I was always a fan of. This is like the, the anti-Field uh, of Dreams where it's just this really sort of ugly story of the other side of baseball of – just these kind of depression, not necessarily Great Depression, because it's these depressed people going to watch the World Series, and then you have these baseball players who are at this time when it's not good to be a professional sports player. Like, they're not getting paid a lot of money. Turns out there is crying in baseball. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, and definitely interesting to see some of these actors in their in their youth playing these characters. So... Uh, definitely a film that I, I'd be interested in everybody uh, giving a watch to. And then the last film that I hope wins. Uh, <laughs> yeah, say, I was going to say, I have one of my three that I am actually rooting for. And when we get to yours, if you have one, that, but continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a film that I loved growing up. So I, it's kind of a general theme that a lot of these films I watched in my youth. Um, but I absolutely love this film. And... I don't want to say it's my favorite of this series necessarily because there's uh well there's the one that that's everybody for the most part loves and and then the others also of this ilk I also quite enjoy but this particular one usually flies under the radar but has a lot of my favorite lines from this particular series and this particular film is The Great Muppet Caper. <laughs> um I fucking love this film uh the the fact that Everything happening with Kermit and Miss Piggy going on throughout the, the there that Miss Piggy is ascending to this great throne of being this star in the uh, modeling and uh, that whole industry, um, and Kermit is just trying to. I think he's a journalist in this movie. Actually, it's just kind of random, uh, and just everything that that goes about this. The Muppets stay in this shitty fucking hotel, I think. Or maybe I'm getting the movies mixed up, and that's The Muppets this in Manhattan. This the one with Diana Rigg? Yes. Okay. Um, I've actually never seen this one. Really? I know. I know okay. I'm sure I've seen moments, but... Um, but the, there's also a jewelry heist that is at the center of this film, and the jewelry heist and the Muppets trying to thwart this, um, and it is just absolutely fantastic. It's a, a film that I give a super high rating to. I think it's a wonderful children's film um, and also is, I think, I don't want to say the early stages, but definitely in that era of including a lot of things for adults to enjoy when they were going to the theater. Mm. Um, and this is just fun, good entertainment um, that I watched probably like two or three years ago and it's still pretty fucking good. Yeah. So, And it's good for different reasons at the same time. So. Yeah. All of these three films I really like, um, so I'm very interested to see which one of them we end up seeing. Yeah. <laughs> are, we, are we deciding mine now? Or? That's what I was going to ask. Do you want to do, like, pick yours? That's, or Is that okay? Yeah. yeah okay. I didn't want to lock it, sorry. No, that's fine. 
This we're definitely having some. Oh, oh boy. Don't want to rate it. <laughs> okay, so all I have to do is choose for me, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. okay. <laughs> Eight Men Out is the oh, film. Yo. To be fair, I think we could do either one of the other two for a regular episode. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying I would watch any I would watch of those, those three, yeah. So. They okay. all sound really I think Eight Men Out it literally is the one that sounds the most out of our fringe of what we normally oh, yeah. do. So, well, and it's not a fucking it's, Marvel it's, film, it's so let's do it. It makes you feel better, basically. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I obviously would have been fine with any of these. Yeah. So um, that'll be fun to look forward to. And that's yeah. part of this process is uh, your favorite doesn't always get picked. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. So. Except mine. I rigged it. <laughs> God. So my turn? Yeah. Okay, so of the three films that I picked, I'm going to start with the first one. The first one I picked was 2002's City of God. I watched this uh, a couple of years ago on Netflix, and I was really taken with it. I know that it like won a lot of awards like the year that it came out. And it's just a very affecting and and just enthralling story of watching this kid rocket growing up in like the favelas of Brazil and the so-called city of God, which is not a good place. <laughs> uh, despite what you think the, 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 the name means, like it's not a city blessed by God. It's a, it's a God, it's a city that only by the grace of God, might you actually like, like ex- escape and just basically showing how this young boy um, grows up within this space and to see what he has to, the, the, the sort of circumstances that he has to defy in order to escape and build a life of for himself and also just his coming of age assorted around like his friends who are also coming into their own sort of like identities as people and just watching them like come into this place for either good or ill, either bending to the whims of the city of God and like feeding into that temptation and becoming the sort of monsters that they themselves were preyed upon when they were younger or trying their best to make the best of life while they they can in that in that space often to unfortunately tragic circumstances like tragic ends in that way is like but it's also affirming of like the defiance of trying to like build a life and to be a good person and like and that for me is like it sort of resonated with me i i i i loved rocket's story i i i, I empathize with rocket a lot um my second film that i chose um and i was a little bit like a little on the fence about it but, uh, yeah, I chose 1997's uh, Perfect Blue by Satoshi Kon, yeah. which, um, if you don't know, like Satoshi Kon is one of my favorite anime directors. He passed away in uh, 2010 from pancreatic cancer. He was actually very prolific, like growing into being prolific at his time. And I feel like had he lived during the time that we live in right now, like in the year 2019, if he was still making films, he would be – on par with that of Hayao Miyazaki in terms of like name recognition for anime, if not like of his time in that era. I feel like he's really the kind of filmmaker that I wish was still around. And it's just such a bummer for him to have, it's, it's so heartbreaking. It's not a bummer. It's heartbreaking to, for him to not still be here with us because he was so goddamn talented and perfect blue is his first film that came out in 1997. Um, and it still sort of resonates with the idea of, Especially now, when we're talking about online identities and online personas and brands and like the sort of identities that we have to adopt for different people and different faces that we have to wear and how those faces can take on a life of their own and actually compromise our own interiority and our own, own authentic self. 
like this is what that film was actually talking about. It was talking about that from the earliest iterations of like what the internet could be back in 1997. And it still resonates to this day. And I feel like both of you would really enjoy this film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we went to the theater. We did. We went to go yeah. see it. We went to go see it in the theater when they, they released the, uh, the, the new dub. And then it came out on, uh, on home video. And I yeah. immediately snatched that up as soon as it was available. They're also releasing Satoshi Kon's second film, uh, Millennium Actress, later this oh, year, okay. which is actually my favorite Satoshi Kon film. And I have the original DreamWorks DVD release of that. But it sucks. And that's why I didn't choose it. That's literally the only reason why I did not choose for <laughs> us to watch that. Because if you're going to watch Millennium Actress... Let's watch the good version, okay? Let's yep. wait for that to come out. Um, and my third film is another anime film. It is 1987's Royal Space Force, The Wings of Honamis, which is directed by Hiroyuki Amiga. If you don't know that name, obviously guys probably don't. Like The reason why I chose Royal Space Force, Wings of Honamis is because it is the first feature-length film from Studio Gainax. And if you don't know Studio Gainax, they are probably one of the most prolific and influential anime studios of the mid-'80s onward through like the, the, the early to mid to late 90s, like right into like the early aughts, right? They are the studio behind things like Gunbuster. They're a studio behind things like Gurren Lagann. They are props most famous for having come out with Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is a huge big deal right now in the year 2019 because it's just been required by Netflix. It's going to be premiering again because it aired in 1997. It's been out of print for over a decade because it is literally one of the most prolific, influential, and unattainable series out there because – to license that show alone costs millions. There are more – when it comes to like people who are getting paid out for Evangelion, like it's still popular to this day. There are more fingers in the pie tin than there is pie when it comes to Evangelion. There are more people making money off of Evangelion branded shit than the actual sale of the, of the show itself. It is that prolific. And so even adjacent to that – Royal Space Force Wings of Honamis showed like what this studio could do relatively young when they were just like doing their first feature length film. It has Ryuichi Sakamoto uh, performing the score, and it is probably, in my opinion, one of the most interesting cases of world building that I've ever seen in an anime. Like it's just so intricate on a level that I just don't think I've seen before, and it's and it's sophisticated in a way, and just like how ambient this world building is it just feels so adjacent to real life and yet so uncannily like stranger than 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 our own and that's what makes it interesting and that's what i like about it and that's why i think you might like it um so i'm gonna choose right now all right come on Royal Space Force, The Wings of Onamis, 1987. Let's go. All right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do, do you, and you own this film? Yes, I do. Own okay. This film. okay. I was just saying. Yes, I own this film. Yeah. Okay. Um, and now it is Nick's turn. All righty. <clears throat> All right. Uh, the first film that I had chosen is a film from 1970 called The Licorice Quartet. Uh, this oh, is Jesus. a uh, sounds like this, a, is, <laughs> this sounds like a movie Nick would pick for that. This is a sex film. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, not hardcore. My but. second film is Good More the Good Luck Miss Wyckoff. <laughs> like, no, we already watched that. Oh my god. <laughs> um, the Licorice Quartet is a film by Radley Metzger, um, who became prolific under the name of Henry uh, Paris, where he made actual pornographic films. Uh, but before he did that, he did a bunch of softcore erotica 
movies that were much better, not much better, but I would say slightly better than his actual pornographic efforts. Um, and honestly, The Licorice Quartet is one of those sex films that, in my opinion, reaches out of the boundaries of people who would might not watch that genre, might get something out of this, because it is not all about uh, the sex scenes, although it is uh, certainly centered around a sex topic. It's essentially the story of... This family, uh, a mother, father, and their adult son, who are so kind of waspy, uh, bourgeois—what, what, not waspy, but bourgeois—family who do nothing except just because they live in this crazy manner. Um, and so, like on a Friday night, they're watching a fuck film <laughs> together. Oh, of course. And yeah, and just to liven up, you know, just a typical Thursday night. That's right. And so, not Friday, just Thursday. <laughs> and they get bored uh, watching the movie, so of they course. decide to go to the circus while. They're at the circus. Um, one of the stunt motorcycle drivers in one of the circus acts, they believe to be the girl in the movie they watched. So they invite her back to their manor. Oh. And from that point on, the movie is in no way told in chronological order or even uh, distinguishes between what is reality, what is fiction, and everybody's complete sexual uh, existence is basically upended by inviting this stranger into their household. Mm. Um, it's one of the greatest film scores of all time, in my opinion. Really? I, I actually don't listen to a lot of film scores. like Independently of the yeah, film itself. Like, yeah. I try to, but I just never really. Right. But that is a score that I listen to over and over when I'm working or whatever. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. So, mm. yeah, that is uh, The Licorice Quartet yeah. uh, from 1970. The second movie is James L. Brooks Broadcast News, starring oh. Albert Brooks, starring um, Howie Hunter, and um, I'm going to blink on his name. Who's the guy, the general from the Avengers? William Hurt. Nick Furt. Oh, yeah. William Furt. Uh, uh, William, so Furt. It's a, William Furt. William Furt. William and Nick Fury. William Furt. 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 Uh, Broadcast News is my favorite romantic comedy ever made. It's probably, or it is one of my all-time favorite movies ever made. And I feel like it is, in a lot of ways, uh, the side, the film viewing side of me I don't often speak about, so to speak. So that's why I wanted to include it, which is that I am very much here for this shit. Um, Not to mention also... I, to understand me as a person, I feel like someone has to watch an Albert Brooks movie. Hmm. Like if you like, that is me to a T, at least internally. And um, this is it has, in my opinion, like it has the funniest line I've ever laughed at in a movie. And um, for those who have seen it, it's what. Albert Brooks says to William Hurt during the dinner party after, because I'm going to spoil it because I don't give a shit, but it's all in his delivery. But when um, Albert Brooks plays this kind of nebbish, shy uh, news writer who wants to be an anchor, who's also in love with Holly Hunter's character, and William Hurt plays this very good-looking suave jock who's the dumbest person ever, but he looks good on camera so he can read the news, and so, of course, there's a love triangle or whatever. So as things are really heating up for William Hurt's character, <laughs> he's outside uh, on the Miranda, and he runs into Albert Brooks' character, and William Hurt just goes... <sighs> What do you do when your real life exceeds your dreams? And Albert Brooks just goes, keep it to yourself. <laughs> and I will just never get over <laughs> that line reading. So uh, I think it's one of the most romantic movies ever made, one of the funniest movies, and just, just one of the sweetest movies. And it's got a great cameo by Jack Nicholson. Oh! Yeah, so uh, my third and final film is a film called Bird People, which I've talked about once oh, or twice. Yeah. It's a recent-ish movie. Yeah. 
I want to look up the director's name so I don't butcher her name. Yeah, Pascal Ferran. Um, this is a odd movie, uh, in a good way, in my opinion, uh, in which it basically tells two stories. Um, you, you have a prologue in which we don't follow anybody's particular story. We're just kind of literally people watching the same way some people bird watch. Um, and then it settles on a character for no discernible reason. And we follow him for about 45 minutes. And then we follow a different character for another 45 minutes. And that's the movie. And obviously I'm underselling it and what happens in it. Um, one section is very eventful as far as plot but it takes place all in one room and the other one is like almost the exact opposite nothing really happens and yet one big thing happens and it is just i've likened it uh on a letterbox review as to what i would consider the equivalent of cinematic magic where i watched it and i had no idea what was going to happen Mm -hmm. next and when something did happen i didn't expect it to happen and when it did happen even when I got used to it, I was also kind of looking at it cockeyed, wondering how they even filmed it, mm-hmm. and also what it was even doing in this movie. And I just, I just think it's phenomenal. So uh, that is that's wonderful. Bird I love those people, experience. yeah, yeah. So between the three films, I will admit, obviously, I'd watch all three of these mm-hmm. or any three of these. Part of me wants to watch a fuck film with you too. Okay, uh, no homo. Um, Won't be the first time. That is true. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Dun, 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 I almost dun, dun. clicked Alex's movie. Oh. oh, boy. Here we go. The Licorice Quartet. Wow. I get what I want. Yeah, you get what you want. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Well, I, man, that is a roster right there. I was going to say, I think I think the three most random films from our selections got picked. Yep. Yeah. So. Yay. <laughs> that'll that'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll certainly be a, I think it'll, it'll. It'll, it'll be an fit. experience. It'll, it'll fit its purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just advocate? I, I, and if anyone has um, a disagreement or, you know, we can all fight about this, that's fine. I would like to throw my gauntlet down to watch my movie last. I think that's fair. Because it's very dreamlike. So if we're tired, it will work in its benefit. Yeah, that's true. Just wanted to say that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. We'll, that's fine. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll figure that. out the order yeah. when we get there. But, man, I'm excited. Okay. That'll be fun. Watch that'll be fuck. three very random movies, I think. So that's that's good. So that'll be coming up uh, later on in the year for our 200th episode. If you have any thoughts on our upcoming 200th episode or any uh, random films that you really enjoy uh, that you think that we should not necessarily review but just watch sometime, always feel free to send them on, send them on to us. And if you write a nice little write-up on it, we'll uh, discuss it on a future episode. <laughs> Also, if you want to talk to us at all about the uh, John Wick trilogy, also feel free to send any of that on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Tell us what your favorite kill is. Sure. There's probably, I mean, there's only a few it really could be, I feel like. I mean, we don't Maybe know. not. Yeah. Maybe everyone's yeah. got a different I think taste. our audience will surprise us. Maybe some people just there's, really enjoyed watching those dog munch on those fucking dicks. Maybe, hey, maybe, but I think there's that's other... That's somebody's really, kink. Don't knock it. There's other really good ones out there, too, so yeah. Okay, yeah. well, I put it in the audience's hand to yeah. send us what their favorite kill and anything else they want to send to us. Yeah. 
uh, to our website. <laughs> we movie, are movie we are related. Affiliates. Yeah, well, oh boy. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, also, try to find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. Or uh, also, listen to us, as is very important yeah. to the We're whole right here, podcast. guys. We're right yeah. here. FilmTankShow.com is where you can find us on the uh, interwebs. And also, you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher. Yeah, we're just trapped here in this rectangle that you call a phone. <laughs> at Film Tank Show. And also, if you can, please rate or review or both. Wonderful. Of our podcast, which, as Nick just said, would be wonderful. Do it before the 200th episode, <laughs> because the ratings might go down after that. <laughs> <sighs> so coming up on episode 193, uh, going to go back into the animation machine. Back in, the an- back in the animation. Back in the animation. <laughs> All a storyboard. Oh, my God. Get it? Yeah, I get it. I get That's it. pretty good, actually. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciated that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we did a top six episode on uh, Disney. Was it just Disney animation or just animation? Disney in movie. General? Yeah, bing Disney bong, animation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was fun, but that was you know four years ago now. Yeah. Um, and we've done We're animation back. films. We've done anime. We've done some animation down the line. Gonna do more anime. Yeah. Uh, but uh, with the live-action Aladdin and also the live-action Lion King coming out here uh, pretty quickly, uh, I thought it would be fun for us to do a double episode just discussing both the Lion King and Aladdin, the animated versions. You know, Dumbo's only 65 minutes. You want to throw that one in there, too? We'll do the whole 2019 roster. How about... No. No, it's okay. That was a joke. Okay, good. I mean, it is a really short movie. Yeah. But. It is, but I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. It's really short, but it's way too long. Please continue. Yeah. I'm mostly just trying to point out that Disney is a soul-sucking company. That. <laughs> oh, word? Really? Yeah, uh, actually, it's... Uh... Yeah. So anyways, uh, at least for me, when I was uh, a youngin', uh, these films, I saw both of them in the theater and obviously, for the most part, ate that shit up, mm-hmm. uh, loved them, and to this day, still absolutely love both The Lion King and Aladdin. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching them again and talking about them with you, mm-hmm. fine gentlemen. Yeah. So there's that to look forward to coming up on our next episode. So, from Tucson, Egan. Hey! You didn't even say your, your name. Oh, Jodarni Jonovich? That's a stupid-ass name. Okay. I, I was expecting like four or five drops of that. Nah. Like, with some enthusiasm in it. It kind of faded nah, out. Nah, it kind of faded out because I was talking about the other dumbass shit in this film. <laughs> so from Tucson and Nick Cheney. Hey! And myself, Alex Diekman. Thank you very much for joining us here on Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you next time. Yeah, we're thinking we'll be back. Ah. <laughs>